Okay. Today's devotional is by Curtis Whiteley, and it's entitled, Our Journey to the 50th Day. Mr. Whiteley. Thank you, Reggie. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see. I mean, this is a, a, a wonderful scene that I'm seeing here right now. All, all of us here together on God's Pentecost Day, uh, especially, obviously, after the last few months that most of us have experienced here uh, in our world with everything going on. But I just want to welcome everyone to God's 50th day, to the day of Pentecost. We know that the day of Pentecost is it's a very special day, and all God's days are very special. As we know that this day didn't start today, uh, but it started back 50 days ago. As we started our journey of counting down to this day as the scriptures instructed us to do. And for me, personally, it's always just a little bit more special. And that is because it was 16 years ago on the day of Pentecost that I was baptized. And so I, I always have a little bit, you know, obviously... If you have experienced this, or maybe the day that you were baptized, it's always just a, a little bit more special. And so my pilgrimage to faith in Jesus Christ began 16 years ago. And there was another group of people about 2,000 years ago that their pilgrimage to faith in Christ Jesus began. And that is found in Acts, the second chapter. So I want to read this chapter, today's devotional. It's a very popular and obviously fitting chapter, and I hope I'm not intruding upon Mr. Matthew Steele's uh, message today, because, you know, with it being the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 is one of the go-to passages. But I just want to read this, because there's something here, and as was mentioned, I entitled this devotional, Our Journey to the 50th Day. And that's what we've come to, our journey. But in Acts, the second chapter, we read, in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the 50th day had come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pompophilia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. A lot of people gathered there in Jerusalem. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And we know that this was God giving his spirit, pouring his spirit out as Jesus promised them days before this. But verse 13 said, others, not believing that it was a miracle from God, said they are full of new wine. And so if we just look at some background information for this passage, Jews dwelling in Jerusalem. Now what we know from history, historians tell us, Josephus and some of his writings alludes to this, during the time 
of Jesus' day, Jerusalem was somewhere around, typically, a population of 100,000 people. But during one of these pilgrimage feasts, pilgrimage feasts being Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, where people would come to Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself could swell up to almost a million people. And since the diaspora, the time where Jews were, you know, were, were the Israelites up in, north, in the north were scattered abroad, and then later Judea, Jews were scattered all over the known world, they would come back to Jerusalem, those who did not settle back into the Promised Land, into what became known as Palestine. So here you have in Jerusalem Jews from everywhere. You had native Jews, people that lived there or lived in Palestine, people that lived all over the Roman world. You had some people that weren't native to Judea, but they might have came back to live there because tradition says some Jews, later in life, they would try to get closer to the temple. And of course, you also had some Gentile proselytes. And so what happened was amazing because of the miracle itself, but there's something else that probably would have added to the people's amazement. And that was what they were seeing was being started by Galileans. The disciples and those in the upper room were Galileans as they were native to Galilee, that region north of Judea. Now, Galileans were typically rural people. They weren't the, you know, the same type of culture per se, or I guess you could say, you know, we have our own geographical differences in our own country. But we know that they were a little different. You could actually distinguish between someone who was Galilean just by their voice, by their accent. We know that in Mark the 14th chapter, verse 70, when G Jesus was being tried, when he was being judged by the Sanhedrin and Peter was afar off, someone came to Peter and says, hey, I know you, you're, you're one of the, him, you're one of them that was with Jesus and your speech betrays you. You're one of those Galileans. People from this region were sometimes considered less sophisticated and uneducated to their Jewish brothers and sisters in the region below them, the region of Judea or the Jerusalem area. And so this added to their amazement because here you have these individuals, you, they're from all over the world, they might speak Greek to, or, or understand the language of the wider Roman world, but wherever they were from, they might have a distinct language of their own. And so they're here in Jerusalem, and these Galileans, the most unexpected people that they would ever think that would know the language of their hometown, this was amazing to them. This was a true miracle. The uneducated Galileans here that were maybe fishermen, were speaking to them, and all of them were hearing them in their own distinct language. Not Greek, not the wider language of the world, but the distinct language that they, from the town or city that they came from. And that's what Acts 2, 6-11 says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And it really doesn't jump out at you until you kind of learn some of that background information. But that was kind of that stereotype of the Galileans. <laughs> these are Galileans. How in the world would they be speaking to us in our own language? They're, they're the uneducated. They're, they're these backwoodsy people. How in the world would they know? 
And some of them, of course, many of them, as 3,000 were eventually baptized, they believed and they understood that this was a miracle of God. And after this, we see that Peter gives a very powerful sermon preaching to these Jews that probably knew the Scriptures, that is, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. But he started to preach Jesus, that man that was crucified, but rose again. Something else that's interesting is that not all of the people there, though, believed that this was a miracle. Some did not see it as a miracle from God, but they mocked Jesus' disciples and claimed that they were full of new wine. New wine is a Greek word, glucos, which means sweet wine. It's specifically a Greek word referring to an alcohol or a wine that had a higher alcoholic content than normal or regular wine. And most of us can imagine, we understand what it means when someone is drunk or they're under the influence. And we understand the behaviors often associated with such under the influence or drunkenness, including foolishness, silliness, obnoxiousness, dangerous. Someone who is in a state where a person's cognitive faculties have been severely inhibited, sometimes leading to a person speaking what might be referred to as gibberish or something unintelligible. And that's what these people looked at. These individuals that were Jesus' disciples, that's what they pointed to. And the context seems to indicate that this is the sentiment that was displayed by those who witnessed this event by a group of Galileans. Not all of them, but some of them. And so I was thinking about this. Is this not the same thing that we get sometimes in our own walk with Christ? I remember when I first came to faith. You know, I grew up in the church, but I was 19 years old when I was baptized. So... It wasn't until I was 19 years of age until I actually committed to Christ and was baptized. And I remember that early zeal I had, that zeal just to do everything I could, everywhere I was it seemed like, and maybe you had this experience, no matter where it was, it's like I was trying to get a Bible conversation started. You know, being 19 years of age, obviously I had a lot of friends, you know, that we weren't married yet, we... Might have been in a school still or college. And I would hang out with friends and things like that. And what would happen is, is I would somehow, they would notice that this random person was trying to get them to read a booklet. A white booklet. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. Our history in the Church of God, we, we understand what booklets are. Okay? Uh, I promise I didn't bust out any of the white tapes, though. If you guys remember those, the old CGI tapes. But I remember my friends thinking, you're nuts. What's happened to you? Because I was just full of zeal. And it was something that reminded me. And, of course, they weren't mocking me or anything like that. But they look, looked at me like I had lost my mind. So it's probably the case with maybe one of your experiences. Of course, Pentecost, this is a day where probably the world accepts it a little bit more than some of our other days that we keep, and that's for two reasons. Number one, Pentecost is a day that's obviously easily spelled out in Acts, the second chapter, when the church began. But it's also a day that we keep on Sunday, which is the traditional day that most mainstream Christian churches keep. But regardless, the sentiment is often the same in this world. And that is, 
sometimes walking in faith in Christ makes us be in opposition to the world that we live in. Makes us be a little bit out of step and makes people think that we're foolish or just brainwashed or we just believe in myths or things like that. They don't recognize and believe the power of God specifically that we can point to the power that was demonstrated on this day. All of us have our own pilgrimage that we made in faith. All of us have different circumstances we were in, but all of us have one thing in common. And I think that it is summed up the best by Jesus' own words when he read, or when he said in Matthew the 13th chapter, verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And that's what we did in this faith. That's what we did. That's what commitment to Christ, that's what Christ asks of us. To give up everything for him. That doesn't mean that we physically give up all our possessions and things like that. And I, I gave a message last week and I kind of went over the rich young ruler. And that's not what God is alluding to, that we give up everything we have. But what we do is, is that we put away anything that gets in our way to be totally and completely committed to Christ and God our Father. Our pilgrimage to faith involved us giving up everything in order to become servants of the almighty God of heaven and earth. It involved recognizing that treasure that Jesus talked about, that God had revealed to us and has revealed to us both in his word and in his ways. Now today on this Pentecost, I want all of us to reflect on that pilgrimage that God has brought us to. It's a personal pilgrimage. A lot of similarities between all of us, but we all have personal circumstances. But one thing's for, for sure as we read in the Bible, and is still demonstrated today, no matter the circumstance that a person is in, the power of God's Spirit, which this day represents, that circumstance is nothing compared to that power that God gives us. Many of you probably know this, and Reggie alluded to this, but one of the popular traditions is that Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, as the Old Testament presents it to us in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, marks the day that God spoke from Sinai to give the covenant to the ancient Israelites. We don't know entirely for sure if this was the day. There's nothing in the scriptures that specifically says, yes, Pentecost was, but what we do know is that it was in the third month, which when Pentecost would have happened and taken place. In the New Testament, we see this day marks the day where the Holy Spirit was given to these early disciples of Christ. And both of the above instances, both Israel getting the covenant from Mount Sinai and then the Spirit coming there in Jerusalem at the preaching of the disciples, what we do know is that God had led both of the groups to the mountain in order to give them the covenant. And he also led the disciples to Jerusalem through the works of Jesus Christ as well as all of those Jews and Gentile proselytes to Jerusalem on that Pentecost day where that miracle would happen. And from this point, we're still on that pilgrimage with God. We're on that journey. We, this message is titled, Our Journey to the 50th Day, and it's kind of a representation, right, of our entire Christian walk. Because that 50 days, we're journeying from Passover to Pentecost, the 50th day, 
it's kind of representative of also that greater journey that we're on. That beginning of our pilgrimage to when that kingdom of God is going to come. And this pilgrimage will culminate in the coming to a new mountain where this entire world will see that treasure that Jesus likened to the kingdom of heaven too.